Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD. Hi, everybody. This is David, and welcome to podcast number 10 of the Safety Docs. So we are using uh, some new technology today. So this broadcast is kind of uh, the tweak-out mode for that. Uh, I do have the brand-new computer system in place, and that was installed uh, over the weekend by Justin from the computer clinic here in Portage, Wisconsin. Uh, Justin had uh, worked with me to design out the specs on it, and then, of course, he built it. Uh, Justin built a laptop for me a, a year ago, just a tremendous uh, machine backlit uh, keyboard, and, and uh, that's been wonderful. So it was time to do the upgrade on the desktop. Uh, that was more by, not by option, as in um, motherboard and RAM and some other things failing. So, uh, But this new system is incredible, has a 100 um, gig solid state drive, which is basically basically like a RAM drive uh, that runs the operating system and 32 gig of ram and then also four high speed um, hard drives all internal um, hard drives so um, it is incredible and just uh, just an amazing machine it has a plexiglass side to it so over here on my right i can look and see everything inside which i have no idea how to really calibrate or even um, what all of the pieces, all of the little parts do, um, kind of intimidated somewhat by that. But it's also very cool looking. And I can see there is a liquid cooled fan. There's a few fans in this. It's extremely quiet though, but it is liquid cooled uh, to keep this machine at a certain temperature. And then it does reflect uh, based upon a color on the side what the temperature of the operating or what the system is. So usually down here in the studio, it never gets very warm. And I can tell you one thing in winter, it, uh, I'm looking up here at the old Camp North style or Camp North Star, not North Style, North Star. So, uh, Bill Murray, check out that reference. Camp North Star weather dial. We're just a little over 60 degrees down here in the studio. So, uh, not heated in winter. Um, so, and in summer, it stays nice and cool down here. It's so it's a good place to work. Um, but I'm also using the Yeti mic for the first recording uh, ever and getting that uh, calibrated. So that might take a little bit of time. And I do have the earbuds in today. For those of you who are watching this episode, um, you'll see that. And I do have some headphones uh, I've ordered that I'll be using just to get a better um, idea of how the volume is on the recording because right now I go in post-production and make any adjustments that are necessary for the recordings. If I can kind of do this right off the bat, it's going to save me a step and just make the quality better uh, all the way around. So, um, so yeah, getting to use some new things and have a few tweaks that will have to be made here on the machine. Um, my Logitech webcam actually went back to the 910 instead of the 920, um, but still having uh, a couple minor uh, compatibility issues that Justin is going to work out 
um, nothing too major. What actually happens is the technology in this machine is so advanced um, that it kind of outpaces a lot of the drivers and a lot of the other stuff that's out there on the market because this really is it's not a commercial or it's not it's not a retail machine. I mean, it's specifically built for really high end software um, editing, audio, things like that. So that's that's where all the money went into. Um, designing out this machine, but then it actually gets a little ahead of the, the curve of what commercially is available. And um, so I've run into that issue a little bit, but Justin seems to have great workarounds on that. So um, this, again, is the Safety Doc Podcast for podcast number nine. And also, uh, first of all, I do have a, a little different lighting setup. I have a, a special light which is above the camera, which is aimed toward me to give you some more um, just straight light uh, from me. Otherwise, I, I kind of, the old safety dock face here wasn't wasn't lit up or I had a little bit of shadowing, so hopefully this will be better. I'm going to kind of tweak that out too. So um, safety dock uh, number nine was a show. Remember I officially told you we're changing to a show, and that's what we were going to have. Well, guess what? Uh, we're moving back to podcasts. So um, the reason I was going to do show, and I guess it's just a, a, a matter of taste on on the vernacular you use f- for these, but um, I was I was looking at going at an AM/FM uh, syndication opportunity, which is still out there, and I might definitely pursue that, which would get me out to 42 additional markets across the United States. Um, but right now, I don't want to take that on until I get um, get more comfortable with uh, the new setup that I have going here. Uh, and it looks like one of my monitors is kind of not level, so I don't know why. But I did have a, a stack of paper underneath one of these when I moved it, finally and cleaned it, and I was like, obviously it was it was it was ripped up and kind of there to level it. And I can I can just tell right now this monitor is not level, but not a real big deal. Um, main monitor here's fine so um, but yeah so I did have the safety doc show the the thought is the word show would be more appealing because I am looking at about every third episode to have a guest on uh, which is usually somebody I'm going to interview go and interview in person do that with the webcam and then kind of convert that over um, or you know maybe by phone or something like that so uh, and then eventually I want to get to the point where I can get this coordinated with Skype and do some interviewing that way and, and get that recorded. Um, so that's where I was looking more at a show versus uh, the, the podcast format of just sharing the information. But I, I really believe this this um, started out as a podcast of me uh, after I completed my dissertation, my PhD down at UW-Madison, wanting to uh, continue to convey information about safety, school safety, decision-making. So, hey, guess what? We're podcasts, and that's what we're sticking with. It's a safety doc podcast. So... Uh, a couple of years from now, you know, when we're up to ep- episode 200 and the trivia question comes out in the old, uh, you know, trivia quiz thing, which episode of the safety, you know, doc was actually a show and not a podcast? Uh, the answer to that is number nine. So the rest are all going to be episodes, uh, including this, not, including podcast. Uh, so which one was a show and not a podcast? It was number nine. So master that put that little piece of knowledge away might be your your winning response we'll have to see um so anyway new computer uh, i i get a kick out of uh, i have a ton of boxes now apparently i need to keep in case anything needs to get you know sent back or anything like that 
Um, or just in general, you know, the tech guy saying, well, if you upgrade this, you might be able to resell this down the road, like this part or whatever. I'm like, okay, I'm, first of all, I'm never going to do that <laughs> because like this machine is awesome and, and I'm just not, and I'm not a gamer. So, um, I'm not, you know, high in video gaming and stuff like that where I'm going to keep continuing to need to go to additional graphics cards and things like that. But, um, but yeah, and then he said, there's all these stickers, which you can put on the sides of your machine, you know, which have like the different Asus motherboard and Sabertooth, you know, this feature and whatever, whatever. And, uh, you know, all these really cool looking things. I'm like, yeah, okay, I'm never going to do that. Like the case is black. The side is plexiglass. I can see inside. It's good enough for me. That's, I'm, I'm really happy with that. So, um, so yeah, I have to find a place to keep these boxes right now. They're all kind of in back. It's kind of messy back there. I just have I have things taken off of the main desk area because I had so many cords with the old system. I actually have a huge box, like a, like a huge box full of just cords I no longer need it. And then also I took I had a Logitech um, surround sound, which was pretty old, probably like twelve years old. And the subwoofer had actually rotted out on this thing. I didn't realize it until I was moving it. <laughs> It just kind of became powdery on the bottom, of course, so that wasn't working. Um, I did order a nice uh, pair of Bose speakers uh, to go with this. And again, I'm, I'm not jamming out down here or anything. This isn't that big of a studio area anyway. Uh, but those should be arriving in about a week, which is really going to be a nice um, a nice upgrade, I think, in sound quality. And then it's, just, it's also not going to take up any space because I, I've already... They will just go into a space where two other speakers were. The previous system had, I think, uh, had four or five, five speakers because it had a, a big center one and then it had the subwoofer. So this would be a lot more con- concise. And uh, so, yeah, it, it's nice not to have so many cables, by the way, too, because to get in back of the system to try to dust or, excuse me, hiccups clean or do anything like that was just almost impossible. So, um so yeah um so for this episode if things aren't quite right uh you know just know that i am tweaking the technology again i'm using the eddie mic for the first time using the system for the first time we don't quite have the logitech uh, software matched up with the video card and some of the processing so uh justin's going to come back and we're going to um kind of do some changes on on that so uh, but uh, once this this totally gets up and rolling, wow, we're gonna really have something. And I think, I mean, right away today, you're gonna notice through the quality of the, the Blue Yeti mic, um, this is just gonna be so much better than anything that has been previously recorded. And uh, and it's especially w- one thing I, I regret a little bit is when I bought my camcorder, which isn't a very high end uh, camcorder. I mean, it's okay, it's a Canon. Um, I should have gone with a little higher end model. And also um, paid a little more attention to the reviews, like on the the microphone and the audio. You can hook up external audio, but it has to be like powered on its own. Which um, so I'm not real thrilled about that. So I, I mean, if I'm out in the field and I'm doing an interview with someone, it's the audio is not going to be like it is when we do, when we do this. It's just not. But it'll still be okay. Um, but yeah. So um, I. Uh, drove home tonight in an ice storm. So I, I think it's probably, probably the first time I've done that. Uh, literally for, for the, the last half of my drive, I mean, it was icing out in my car was, I had a hard time keeping ice off the windshield. So I have the, the defroster on. So if you're listening to this and you're like in Texas and 
I've been looking at my, my analytics, so the audience is definitely growing uh, pretty rapidly across the country. And actually, across across the world, I was contacted by um, a person out of Prague, uh, an, an educator who really appreciated the, the video and um, was talking about some of the things going on in her school and wanted some additional um, resources if I had them. So I'm like, whoa, uh, this is really good here. So I think being uh, on SoundCloud, definitely uh, the 405 Media. Thank you to John and the 405 Media out of Los Angeles. Um, and then um, I, I do have a wonderful blog, which I think I only have six subscribers. I, I No matter what I do, I... I, I could, I, I could, if you subscribe, you know, I could do a raffle for a brand new uh, Cadillac Escalade and I'd probably get up to 10 subscribers. So I don't know. It's just, it, it's not catching on. So maybe I've got to try to change up the way that that's put out there or marketed or whatever. So, um, but again, thank you to John and the 405 Media. We see the sign uh, in the back, the 405 Media, for sponsoring um, the Safety Doc Show, 9 p.m. Monday through Thursday. And on January 30th, it will become 1 p.m. Um, every day for the Safety Docs show. So thank you for that. And another um, sponsor of the show, Sprigio.com, the uh, leader in online bullying and school safety reporting software. Sprigio, S-P-R-I-G-E-O.com out of Santa Barbara. Um, if you do contact them, um, ask for Joe. Mentioned uh, you heard about uh the reporting software on the Safety Doc show, but uh, Joe has um, his company has a presence in about half of the country and is rapidly growing. And I've worked with Joe and serve as um, for disclosure, serve as a senior consultant um, with with the company uh, on user interface. And I've worked with Joe for a number of years. Uh, we we go all the way back to when uh, Sprigio was was just kind of starting out as a small company, and now. <laughs> Uh, Joe is, is, uh, he definitely is, is, is all over the place, um, you know, flying and, and meeting with his clients and, and developing out his, his new products, um, and making, uh, making sure that quality control is number one and, and listening, uh, you know, to what, uh, what his consumers are, are saying. Um, I did contact him, um, a week ago and I think he was, he had, uh, strep throat and needed a couple of days to recover. He had just come back, though, from a, 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 a pretty detailed uh, number of days uh, with one of his uh, brand-new huge clients. And uh, part of part of the success of, of really being a wonderful person, a wonderful CEO, having a great product is, is when that demand kicks in. Um, boy, I mean, you're... you're just getting the you know the emails and the phone it's just uh, everything's ringing um so um and a, a appreciation out to iss 24 7 coral springs florida providing uh safety instant management um system safety to a number huge number of the world's uh, largest venues including uh the Staples center uh levi stadium where the 49ers play and uh, um, even shopping malls ISS 24-7, and uh, appreciation uh, for everything that they do and continue to do to keep large venues um, safe. So, And I appreciate the uh, the contacts that I have with ISS 24-7 and to learn about the, the advancement in the systems that they use um, throughout the country and large venue. So 
Um, and back to we have Wisconsin Badgers. Hey, Cotton Bowl champion. So where the safety doc graduated. All right, go Bucky. I remember going to Camp Randall before it had lights. They'd have to bring up like portable lights on the on the side and kind of put them up with a crane type thing. So back in the old days. Um, so I so yeah, driving the this this I I drive I ninety ninety four to work, which is uh, goes you know cuts through Wisconsin. So interstate. And they're doing a, a ton of construction on it right now, making it wider. So. Um, I call it the poor man's Indianapolis 500 because it it, it, it really is. Um, you know, at one point you cut, you know, you, you go through Madison, Wisconsin, so you, you know you're going through a metro of, um, you know, what about 600,000, you know, people. Um, but with the road construction, there's there's parts of the highway where, I mean, what they have done is really great, but then they narrow it down. They put in those those portable concrete, you know, side. I don't know bunker type things or whatever, but they they put them pretty close. I mean, there's like there's if you're not paying attention, you know, sides the paint's going to be off the side of your car. So, um, but I figure, you know, it's 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 all training. I mean, it's made me, um, <laughs> you know, you just get to be a really good driver when you when you hone your skills every day on, on you know I ninety ninety four. So, um, I had to. I'm, I'm driving the family to Orlando. Uh, later this spring, and uh, actually, we will be spending some time at Disney Orlando. Um, so, very much looking forward to that. But uh, we're doing the drive down, so I will. I'll drive us down, drive us back, and uh, I'm kind of thinking. You know, I don't know. This this is an obscure reference, but back in 1984, there was a movie, The Last Starfighter, which I have on DVD, and uh, it it was. So the main character, his name was Alex Rogan, and he's probably like 17, 18 years old, and, he, and he's out, lives in this mobile home park, and he's out uh, by the office playing his video game. And basically, with this, this whole theory, this this plot is that uh, he aces this video game, which is fighting aliens and things like that. So um, the person Centura, or Centuri, or whatever his name was who developed this on another planet, another galaxy, comes down and meets with him and says, you've been recruited by the, by, what is it here, the Star League, I think I wrote it down, to uh, defend the frontier against Zer and the Kodan Armada. So, um, yeah, I, I don't know if that's happening um, with me on I-9094, if I'm going to you know, be re- recruited for some specialty driving. Or uh, in all my days of playing video games, no, I was never approached by aliens to defeat a... Uh, and our, our armada or anything like that, but uh, yeah. So I did play a lot of uh, Madden football uh, with my roommates and friends and, and things like that. So it was never recruited by an NFL team for any type of uh, offensive, defensive coordinator, head coach position either. And I was pretty unstoppable. So when I was uh, attending college, uh, picking up my second master's degree, I was already an adult and married. And living in a dorm uh, in a summer, which was great in one aspect, and the other aspect not so great. But uh, there was there was uh, uh, so there were the people my age, like in our thirties, and then at that time, and, um, you know, there were the eighteen, nineteen, twenty-year-old kids who were taking classes in summer. And there was this one kid who was like really—he was like the the dorm legend of Madden football. 
And uh, anyway, somehow word had got out that I I had played, and I still had played a little bit to that day. Um, but he, he cha- wanted to challenge me to a game. Finally, I, I accepted this challenge. So this is this is kind of like a Jerry Seinfeld episode of when Jerry um, runs against that other per- the guy that you ran against in high school and, and beat him in the race and, and things like that. But I refused to play because I thought I'd be embarrassed because, I mean, it's this kid quote-unquote probably played all the time but uh, i did i played him so we like packed his dorm room so it's this mixture of you know 18 19 20 year olds and then the 30 year olds um you know so cheering you know two generational um you know sides there and i ended up uh winning and and i actually remember the game pretty well i had the saints was a team that i took and i um, kept going. I don't. I don't even know who's on the roster back then. I mean, it, you know. But I kept going to uh, to my tight end for completions, and um, this guy threw an interception. And I, I basically knew if I could get one turnover, I could probably win the game. And he threw an interception, and I ended up winning. And uh, yeah, so uh, was was a little bit of a legendary event up there at uh, UW Superior. Um, and I, I don't even remember what what dorm I stayed in. Um, and it was it was interesting too. Uh, it was being renovated at the time. They were just putting in a cable, or, um, like fiber, you know, for computers and stuff. So you'd come back from class, and uh, your stuff would be covered in dust and all of that. And it's just a mess. I mean, it's just a mess. They actually gave us like that semester for free, like that you stayed there. Um, so. Uh, yeah, yeah. So I have, um, you know, Amazon used to do, I don't have Amazon Prime. And I think they're really, if you don't have Prime, they're starting to send a message to you of, hey, like, you know, if you don't get Prime, you can still do the free shipping, but we're really going to slow it down. <laughs> so I've got like one item I ordered like two, three days ago, and it's like preparing for shipment. And then in the rest of the items, it doesn't even say that. I mean, so I'm like, come on, like, you know, like the Bose speakers, it's like, okay, we received your order great like okay like somebody like process it i mean amazon used to be uh, fast i mean now you know unless you're you're prime apparently so i don't know i I do order quite a bit um all right apparently i just had one threat found and removed it's good when see this is the kind of stuff that's in the background i gotta figure out what's going on with it but uh um but anytime your computer steps in and, and removes a threat against you, it's a good thing. So, um, uh, this this podcast talks about small group model, really important for school safety, and and almost everybody gets this wrong, and and people are doing this the wrong way. I, I had a somebody had a tweet under a, a number sign school safety, and it was in the last week or two, and it was. Um, Due to recent, you know, violent incidents or whatever at the in our school district, we are holding this community forum to help you shape our safety protocols and whatever. Um, you know, so please, you know, show up at the performing arts center on on this date or these dates or whatever. I was I was going to copy that and reference it. Now it's gone, or I just can't find it, which is probably really what's happening. But um, but those type of things are so common. Um, it's it's a it's a really bad way to 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 safety is to is to invite the community in to help you develop your safety protocols. It's just, and, and let me tell you why. So let me start going through the examples. Um, 
I have a little bit of a cold, so I'm sorry about that. Um, and uh, so what is small group model? So small group model, I'm going to take this per, per Doherty. Doherty is a military researcher. It's where I got you know, this, this information from. And I incorporated some of this in, into my dissertation, actually. But So small group model recognizes that many decisions are made by neither individuals nor organizations, but by small groups convened for a specific purpose. So in a school, you know, it's pretty common to have small groups that get together. Like, here's the group that's going to, you know, work on designing the new report card out. So, you know, you're going to have somebody, you know, different teachers from different levels on there. Maybe um, somebody from the tech department saying, well, you know, like, okay, you can do this. And this is how it'll look if it if we email parts of this out or it can pull data from other parts or whatever. But, you know, so that type of stuff happens all the time in in schools. But... I'm going to give you an example of, of a high-stakes um, small group model decision, which isn't school-related, just to start building out a context for us. So one is, let's say that um, there is a highly contagious pandemic, which um, is discovered in the United States. So tomorrow it's discovered, and all of a sudden, boom, it starts to take off like wildfire. What would happen? Here's what would happen is... You would have a um, small group model that would that would be invoked, and it would probably be led um, by the CDC. But it's not like the CDC is left to um, try to resolve this issue. So again, let's say this is really serious. Like this, this has the potential to you know infect you know twenty five thirty percent of the population within two weeks if nothing's done. So. Under small group model, okay, and I'm talking, now, there's ways to do this, but this, I'm talking a single project. So you have one project here. The project is you have to stop, you have to find a way to, to mitigate this, this pandemic. So you are going to have numerous experts, experts involved in this. So think about it. Medical scientists, and these aren't all, these aren't people necessarily working for CDC. You're going to go out there and find, okay, here's top researchers right now. Not only U.S. but worldwide, top researchers in this this area for um, this this type of of, of um, virus or whatever, you're going to have to involve logistics people. Like you know, how are we going to um, get resources to people? You know, like like vaccination centers. How is that going to be done in an orderly way? Um, even how are we going to make sure that we continue systems such as uh, food, water, um, making sure that, that we get stuff to stores uh, if we do have, you know, this, this situation? Um, you know, how do we make it so people don't starve? I mean, that, that, the, that the shelves don't go bare. So logistics, distribution, transportation, um, you know, infrastructure. So talking about, again, how, you know, w- what are we going to do as far as, um, you know, we know if we use air travel, we're just going to spread this more. So is that going to be limited or some screening process that goes in? Um, communication. How are we going to get this message out? What are we going to share? I mean, we don't want people to panic. And then we also have people um, that are going to have different levels at which they'll, they'll understand this. We'll have different uh, languages that we'll have to uh, put, you know, put this message into um, you know, different modes of communication. Are, are we going to, you know, TV? Are we going to go up on billboards? Are we going to start doing some house to house? I mean, how? So you're going to have experts in that in communication. Um, 
uh, man, you know, manufacturing experts. So you're gonna you're gonna bring in um, people that, that manufacture, you know, antivirus and, and also you know distribution um, equipment for that. You know, whether it be the the containers and whatever, and say like, okay, like, you know, how many? How are we gonna do this? Like, from yours, you know, you, we're gonna need this many doses of whatever. Um, you're gonna have to military the military for you know for the involvement if it goes to martial law or even to um, uh, help co- coordinate get these resources together. And then you're gonna have all these subgroups that are gonna come out of this. Like, um, for example, under um, you know logistics, you might have a global information integration specialist. So there's data out there they might mine of, you know, like, where's the most dense population centers and, and the roadways? Well, those aren't going to be people necessarily that will work directly with this group. They'll work under this group to feed information in. So you'll you'll contact those specialists and say, okay, I need to know exactly the, the shortest routes for whatever, and, you know, I need maps of population densities and this and that. And so that's like a different group. So... Um, so again, look at all the people that come to play at this, and they're all they're all specialists. Um, and this doesn't always work. Um, and this is really high stakes. So you know, I use it, it as a pandemic thing, and I think Ronald Reagan, you know, gave a speech. Well, I don't think I know, but Ronald Reagan included in a speech, you know, oh, how fast our differences and you know would would vanish and we'd work together if we had like an alien force that we had to join. Um, our resources and, and talents with um, to defeat. So, hey, see the movie Independence Day. Um, so, at play, we have global dynamics. So, what's happening, not only U.S., but globally, what's happening to stock markets? Um, are people not traveling to the United States? Um, you know, globally, what's, what's happening? So, you need that awareness. Contextual dynamics, like uh, right... Um, Again, you know what is what is happening as far as hospitals being over, you know, overwhelmed with this, with um, quarantines, with um, you know runs on on uh, food, gasoline, things like that, and then um, you know very very localized you know dynamics too, you know such as you know the communities where this is is happening. I mean, are you completely quarantining you know those communities? Um, off, it's so it's all part of like a systems theory. Like it all happens with systems. So I'm just going to move us to another page here. So I do script these things out actually. So okay, you get these experts are brought together, and you're assuming that, that composite group is going to gel, and um, they're going to function. They're going to be flexible. They're going to work together. They will then call upon other resources in order to achieve the target. So let's say the target here, again, is to mitigate, to stop this pandemic um, from from spreading. So um, that's what you're hoping is going to happen with this trained group of professionals. So there are inherent dangers. Now I'm talking about a model which has a lot of impetus to succeed <laughs> because if it doesn't, you know, we don't want, you know, 30% of our population to die in two weeks from a, pan- a pandemic. Um, and there's, you know, much festing for everybody in this high stakes. And again, so you're, you're looking at calling in these these experts. And it's going to be a bigger group than that, but it can't be too big. I mean, so that's why I still call it small group, and then you kind of subdivide it up. 
and hopefully this group becomes something um, bigger than than the part than the parts, which we'll talk about in a second here. But there's an inherent danger of small group modeling, and this is what happens. Schools don't realize when they open themselves up for small group modeling and inviting in the community to basically script what their safety response will be, which does happen. I'll tell you why it happens too. Um, but the, there's inherent, there's big, big, big dangers to this. One is, um, so again, Doherty was talking about one of the main dangers inherent in the social influences associated with small groups is the tendency toward groupthink. Or basically that, so you have these people together and they just start thinking the same. I mean, they kind of start agreeing with each other instead of challenging each other um, and, and they lose that objectivity to just again have that, that group think. So think of, let, let's use group thinking this way. So you're, you're walking down a road and all of a sudden, you know, like a hundred people are running towards you, but not like at you. And, and as they start to go past you, your thought is probably they're running from something. There's a reason they're running. I'm going to start running with them. So that becomes group think, although like you have no reason why they are running. So they actually did. There was a prank on TV where you know they would they would do that, but then they would actually show like you know people that would start you know taking off and, and running with the group. But um, so this whole group think because there's strong internal pressure. You know, you're the experts. Figure this out. And by the way, you know, like this this is this is expanding this this issue. So when you hear school safety, like there's an, an active shooter situation or there's, you know, some severe incidents that are happening in a school, there's much pressure to have a very fast response. And we know that change takes a long time. If you change, you plan out a good change system and a, a model to do change, it can actually take years to get to where you want to go if everything is done correctly. So when you accelerate those timelines, um, there's a lot of pressure. So there's pressure to come up, um, and then, you know, there's pressure for that group to concede, which you don't want. Um, you don't want people to, to concede. So you, you end up with that group think, uh, people kind of conforming to that evolving group norm. In these situations, viable options might be discarded for popular options. So, um, you know, again, um, it almost becomes like a jury type thing. You might have two or three people that have some options they're putting out there, which, you know, they're, they're good options, but they're, they're not popular. It's like, well, you know, if, if we do that, um, yeah, if, if we, um, we just tell, um, ev- you know, everybody we're, we're going to shut down, you know, all of, uh, the mass or all the airlines, you know, for five days or something like that. Maybe that's a viable option, not a popular option though, because the airlines aren't going to be happy. People aren't going to be happy because they can't travel. Um, and even though, you know, the epidemic and, and whatever. So, so you have these balances that, that start to happen and that's where you have to stay strong and go with what's keep the viable options in your heuristics. Your, we've talked about that before. I'll keep those out there, but um, there's no guarantee that group members are gonna are gonna work well together. Uh, a number of these people probably have never met each other. You have a little bit of an ego, certainly. If you're coming in as an expert and you're assumed to have a level of expertise, uh, egos are are bruised. Uh, when people get challenged, they're probably not told in their field uh, no very often. Um, so that is something to to 
you know, there's no guarantee that that group is going to function as a unit. Again, these are professionals in the area. So again, you're talking when you're in, in schools doing this and you open up a, you know, 500 plus seat um, auditorium or performing arts center and you have people come in and they start to have this group think of, well, we need to do this. We need to put cameras in a way we need to screen every kid. You know, we need to have additional school police liaison officers standing at every corner. We need to this, 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 and this, and it just snowballs. And this, that you have that because this is what people hear, you know, like from the media and some other things and a little bit of whatever limited internet research, whatever they've done. Not that it's not well intended, but again, it would be like asking that same group to come in and to help you solve this pandemic. They're not experts in those areas, yet we put them in that role. Or we, and, and there's, again, the reason why we do that. So, um, so yeah, those personalities. And uh, to properly have small group function, you need a facilitator. You need someone to facilitate it. Um, and in schools, sometimes this happens. They'll bring in a facilitator to do small group discussion, but often it's run by, like, the superintendent of the school or a school board member or like the local, you know, the police chief or whatever. Well, that's not what you want because as soon as that person starts to run that and then they have a bias in what they are contributing to that and then reflection on that. Um, Meaning uh, it's hard to be reflective upon yourself when you're also accountable so it's best to have that facilitated by someone that that's their only job, and you bring them in from the outside, and their only job is to facilitate that meeting. And then if you're the principal, you're the police, whatever, you, you can participate in that, that meeting. But that's another part of, of group, small model, that if you leave the group to, to kind of moderate itself without a facilitator, uh, it's not going to be very effective in most cases, and, and sometimes it can completely implode. Um, so... I want to give an example of why it's so risky also to bring in um, all of these these experts. Why small group model is so hard. And we just think in schools it's going to be easy if we we bring in, um, you know, if we go to the small group theory or have this, this, you know, group from the community come in and to help us with school safety, we think it's it's going to help us out. But here's an example of even when you bring in a varied um, level of expertise across uh, a realm why things why things still wouldn't work um, necessarily. So Russell Acoff um, was uh, organizational theorist. I, 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 he's since passed, but I, I'm a big fan of, of his work. And I'm going to read something from a presentation um, that he gave. So um, he talked about systems thinking. And he was talking about small group group theory. Um, basically, if, if you bring in, so let's say you bring in the expert from yeah logistics and from travel and from you know the expert scientist in this area, and so again you you have those top experts. Is that is that going to then gel into this this wonderful team? So he, he talked about this. Put it in the context of an automobile. So he says, let's think about building an automobile. So um, you're going to build the best automobile in the world. You go about it by first bringing each of all the car models in the world into one place. 
you would then hire the best automotive engineers and mechanics in the world and ask them to determine which of the cars has the best engine. If the engineers say that the Rolls-Royce has the best engine, you'd pick the Rolls-Royce engine for your car. Similarly, you would ask the engineers to find out which of the cars has the best exhaust system and pick that for your future car. Using this method, you and your team would go through the necessary parts for building an automobile and in the end have a list of the best parts available in the world. You would then give that list to your engineers and mechanics and ask them to assemble the car. What do you think you'd get? The answer is obvious. You don't even get an automobile. The parts simply would not fit together. An engine from a Rolls Royce won't work well with an exhaust system from a Mercedes. The performance of the automobile is dependent on the interaction of its parts, not the performance of the parts taken separately. So to have effective small group, so you're talking about these experts, it is a challenge. It's hard to do. It's necessary. Um, so like in, in that model, uh, you know, there where he points out the challenges to that, you'd, you'd have to go then in and create what the characteristics of, of all of those uh, pieces are and to somehow facilitate and then design something that would that would emerge from that. Um, I want to talk to about small group theory, the vesting part of that. So again, let's imagine uh, this notice comes out from the school, uh, like the one that I saw um, that was tweeted out, of saying, hey, you know, we're, we're going to hold this form and now it's not advisory, okay? This is something. It's not advisory. It, you're here to help us develop our safety response. There's a big difference. So you also have um, only limited vesting in that, and here's why. Those people who are coming in, um, you know, they're going to go back home. They have their jobs and whatever. Um, it's not like, um, you know, this is, this is all that they are going to do. Um, so you're, you're kind of, you know, they might know something about safety and they might have kids, you know, in the system and whatever. But I'm going to give an example. Uh, Stefan Molyneux is a philosopher. He, you can find him on YouTube, Free Domain Radio. Uh, but he, he quit a job that was uh, paying him $150,000. talks about this in, in one of his podcasts. And uh, all he had to do was work a couple days a week and uh, quit the job because he wanted to write books. And he said the reason he quit the job was he knew once his back was against the wall, he would be fully vested into writing his books because that was the way he was going to make his, his living. Um, so, again, it's this level of vesting where people can come in and, and again, think of that auditorium of, of people, you know, talking about trying to, to form the school safety policy um, you know, well, they're there thinking about it that night or whatever, but then they're probably home after that, you know, doing something else and preparing for their, their job and whatever. So you really, if you really have small group model, um, it's hard to have people with a lot of, with their feet in, in different areas. Um, so school safety advisory group should be advisory. And that, that point needs to be clear from the start. So you, it, if you're going to do this where you bring people in, you say, listen, um, we have a lot, or we have things that have gone on, and you know we want your input as to um, you know here's what we're doing, and then let people give 
an opportunity for thoughts or especially the part of that inter that involves them like um you know one do they understand what what you're doing and then um how you're communicating information out to them so uh my example is when i was with the school district uh, i was in charge of developing an allergy uh policy so i worked with our uh, head dietitian uh, um food service and we went, researched, and, and put together, you know, Vista schools, whatever, but in our own context, put together what we thought our policy would be and then also what our procedures would be, although those would be very contextual per the schools. We held listening sessions um, or input sessions, I don't know, whatever we call them, but uh, invited the community, publicly posted these. But these were not for people to come into either say, yes, I like this part of your proposed policy and your practice, or I don't like like this, so like, the, you know, that you'd vote on it, something like that. <laughs> you know, you give everybody a, a post-it note, and you, you know, you put up on the things that you want in the policy and the things that you don't. And so it made it very clear from the start to everybody that, um, you know, this was to give input and to give reflection that we would take under consideration, but the decision for how we would implement practices in each of the schools it was our decision, and we would make that decision. It was not going to be decided by those forums. Uh, so that was very clear. It was very clear. I had a, in, a, in a different district I worked with, I had a parent that uh, she was a self-proclaimed expert. A nice lady, but really... Um, was overstepping her her bounds of of wanting um, to uh, inform you know get parents together of kids that had food allergies and then how to have those managed in the the school and um, really was getting to the point where she was was sharing um, wanted to share information which we didn't you know didn't align with, with the way that, that we were handling uh, food uh, allergy and other allergy management. So I had to say, listen, you know, this, this just isn't happening. So um, this isn't the way that, that, that we're going to do this. Like I'll present, we can co-present with you, you can give a perspective, but you're not going to establish our, uh, our policy and practice for that. That's not your, that's not your role. Um, she actually became pretty upset with us. <laughs> went and, and rented a hall off-site and, and tried to get some parents, and I think did get some people together. But we did have to make it very clear, though, that uh, it, um, what she was telling them about, um, you know, allergy and allergy management was not necessarily what we were endorsing from the school, and that those were two very different perspectives. So tried to build that bridge, but when someone tries to... to get together and then was going to bring in uh, some other parents and um, some experts from the field, I don't know who those would be, and try to get her own small group model to then, you know, and she did it in this way where she was trying to, to help out, I think, the the school, and so we didn't have to do this, but um, again, was I was saying, you know, we you, you can't be telling people, you know, this thing when it's not, you know, vetted through us so um after after sandy uh after sandy hook a number of school districts sent notices home 
uh, and they were they sent notices home saying, you know, because of Sandy Hook, we have uh, we're we're very concerned about your child safety, and we are reviewing our policies and we're meeting with police and and reviewing our you know facility stuff and things like that. That was very very common across the the country. A number of schools did that, but some schools uh, didn't. They they didn't do that. My belief is it was a mistake to send such a notification home after Sandy Hook. And here's here's why. Here's why. Um, one is you should always be reviewing your safety uh, practices and policy. I mean, your policy itself should have a review um, uh, schedule built into it. You know, like every other year it gets reviewed by the board, updated. Um, but your practices are are ongoing. I mean, so that is one thing. You, you should always be reviewing. Not that all of a sudden Sandy Hook happens and now it's like, okay, we have to look at what we're doing because we don't want that to happen here. The other part is no one, I mean, you knew from what was being covered from the media what was happening at Sandy Hook or what had happened at Sandy Hook, but that's it. You didn't have the report that came out, um, you know, from the the FBI following, you know, the complete investigation and the fact that Sandy Hook uh, was structurally a very safe school, um, that, you know, the the reality was um, and is to this day that that type of attack uh, on almost any school, you know, would have the potential to yield the similar results. And so, you know, you go out there and you're telling people, and again, what are you really going to, going to do in that case? Um, are you going to try to, 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 you know, parents are going to want you harden the target, you know, bulletproof, we, you know, you don't, we don't want people to get through the doors. Well, okay. I mean, even if you did that, and again, I know schools that did, that was the response. You do that, you harden a target. And what you do then is you just change the location for the attack. And we, we, we see, and you also change the mode for the attack. So, or, or the delivery system of the attack. So if, if it's going to, to be hardest to get in through the front door, then, um, perhaps, you know, the attacker's waiting till kids get out on a playground. Or instead of using a gun, now we're starting to see people who are just using vehicles and they're, and they're plowing into crowds. I and mean, think of a playground. Think of as kids get off a bus. Think of as kids waiting. I mean, not to paint this dark picture, but I'm saying when you send a letter like that home um, immediately after a Sandy Hook, one, the, you know, the questions that I have is, one, you should always be reviewing your policy. Sandy Hook should not have caused you to change anything unless you weren't doing your job in the first place. The other part is you get you're taking that from a media perspective of what's happened, and you do not know the safety procedures that were in place. If there's any benefit of having a communication after a sentinel event like Sandy Hook, um, I think it's to, to one review your threat input systems, and I think if I were to send something home as an administrator, it would be. Um, and first, I would make sure that that's what the board and the principals wanted and that we had, you know, there were a lot of questions from the community. What I would say is, one, you know, we uh, continually uh, review our our safety, which, you know, would 
be a true statement. And the other part is that, um, you know, we want to continue to review specifically the threat input systems, and we'll look at this specific, um, you know, event with Sandy Hook, along with, you know, others that happen, and ask ourselves if, you know, once we know more about those, uh, once more of the details come out, is there anything from practice that will that will inform then how we will use practice down the road? Hi, everybody. This is David. And we ran into a little bit of a technical glitch there with podcast number 10. We had about 52 minutes of video, which was recorded on the Logitech webcam, <clears throat> excuse me, have a little bit of a cold here. And uh, what happened after that is a freeze. We did lose a final eight minutes. However, I feel that I did get my points across regarding small group model. So I'm going to use this time to talk a little bit more about the Safety Doc podcast and get us up to that one our mark, which is our time slot on the 405 media. So let me start out by um, doing a little bit of a reflection here after doing 10 shows. One is I'm very thankful that uh, I've invested the dollars in upgrading the technology. I think once this gets um, kind of the tweaks get worked out, it's really going to allow me to produce a uh, some very high quality technical shows, which are going to be um, nice to watch for those of you. There are a number of you that watch this on YouTube, but uh, more of you who listen to this, uh, investing in the Yeti mic, for example, uh, doesn't uh, give the full uh, depth of my voice right now, which uh, probably should <clears throat> be rested um, once I... I get over this cold, but uh, I think we're just going to have such a better quality of uh, production um, over the upcoming podcast. So please bear with me as I learn the new technologies and also merging a few technologies here in the new system. Um, I am very passionate about school safety, about personal safety, about high stakes decision making. And that is the uh, that's the the driving purpose for me doing this podcast, and I want to be um, you know true to that that message going forward. It it's something I enjoy doing. I enjoy putting these together, and it is um, I would say it's it's a hobby, but it's a scholar scholarly hobby. It's something again I'm passionate about. I want to give you quality information, uh, information that you're not getting from the mainstream media, give you empirical information, give you some um, very kind of unique, insightful things that you just, again, you're, you're probably not going to hear somewhere else. Um, the, you know, my listeners are, you want to know this stuff. You're, you're very much into personal safety, personal awareness, agency, and purpose. I appreciate um, that and I appreciate being able to um, speak to you and talk about those about those things. So I'm going to continue to work my hardest to deliver quality content to you. I do write up notes um, before every show, 
and uh, kind of cross-reference with some research. So a big thank you to John and the 405 Media for giving me a chance to get this show out before a large audience. And with the success of the Safety Doc podcast, uh, John is promoting me into the 1 p.m. spot on January 30th, and that will be daily, so you can tune in to the 405 Media, actually at any time, 405media.com, and find the Safety Doc, and it'll link you out so you'll be able to stream the show. I am also on SoundCloud. You can find my RSS feed and get all of my podcasts there, um, the Safety Doc podcast. And I do have a channel on YouTube also uh, for all of these podcasts. So I am on Twitter at SafetyPhD, again, at SafetyPhD. If you could follow, retweet, that would be appreciated. I do not have a Facebook page, and I do not intend to have a Facebook page um, or LinkedIn or probably anything to that extent. Uh, I do have a website, which is available. Once you get to the Twitter account, you can get to the website, and that is, um, again, very detailed and I think very helpful once it comes to school safety and safety and personal safety in general. So those are um, things that are available. The website is being updated also, um, and I am going with a www.safetyphd.com as my main website and kind of migrating everything over to that. Uh, being known as the Safety Doc, um, I previously um, had a small consulting um, operation which was called Crisis Prep Consulting. It still exists, but I am merging that over, so everything is just under the safety docs that aligns with the podcast. I'm excited because I'm able to see now that I'm getting an audience from around the country. I can go in and check those analytics, and actually was contacted by a teacher from another country uh, who was very interested after listening to a recent podcast about school safety and wanted more information. So uh, I want to give a thank you out to Lori Zook um, of the Lori Zook Show for helping me with some technical um, advice on podcasting. I contacted her. And again, I am looking very seriously at taking the show and syndicating it um, out on 42 small market AM FM stations. I was contacted with that opportunity but I do need to become much more uh, fluid with the new setup and the new software before going down that path. So that might happen. Um, it would have no effect, though, on what I do with the 405 media, definitely. Um, I hope to be uh, with the 405 and with John for a very, very long time and working with that league of uh, extraordinary podcasters. That's where I get my information from uh, from that group. They're just a wonderful uh, intelligent bunch, uh, things that you're not going to hear information, you're not going to hear from the mainstream media, uh, you know, where everything has to be produced for a broad audience. And then um, also uh, very much uh, manipulated by sponsors. So uh, I, I really appreciate the opportunity that I have working um, with John and the 405 Media and then through the other media outlets to get my message out there. So uh, I have a wonderful blog. You can find it through my website. Unfortunately, I only have six followers. I've had it for about three years. I post all original content. 
uh, very informative on a number of, of safety-related topics, so I encourage you to pursue that, too. Um, I'm wishing you the very best at safetyphd.com, at safetyphd. This is David, and thank you very much from the Safety Doc.